Frank, I was going to ask if you have seen the Dreamcast Propeller Arena, quote, official release. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Propeller Arena is a game that did not come out. It didn't out. come out. Are you talking about like copies that were printed at the time and not sold? No, copies that were printed like older games style. Like someone oh. was like, we can make copies of this now. No. There was like a run of those that happened for a while. Interesting. I just got one and it is incredibly charming because it's all like, uh, you know, printed on someone's printer with some cardstock. And then the inside is regular printer paper, but it's it's been stapled together and they've put high quality tape on the end so that it can be double sided. It's like a zine, basically, and it's really cute. <laughs> and, in, and at the end, it says, have fun, Gary Walton, 271203. Uh, 2003 was when Gary Walton put this in there. Is that when he had fun? Yeah. That's when he, well, that's when he wanted me to have fun. Oh, okay. So he yeah. did not have fun then. No, he didn't do it. Okay. I, I don't think. lurking around every edit trust your feelings got to insert credit this is episode 191 of the insert credit hour a program where a <laughs> panel of experts has no choice but to answer every inane question i ask them for six minutes each if they come up with too many interesting things to say about it they'll be punished for going over time by the sound of a horrible buzzer i'm alex jaffe and if i could select one beverage to be my personal video game health potion at this point it would probably be triple x vitamin water oh um my name is frank Spaldi, and if i could choose one beverage to be my personal video game potion did i word that correctly that's good enough uh black coffee sure that's okay uh, besides water that is my number one beverage you know, right. it's kind of vacillating to, uh, between water and something else myself. uh it, i'm brandon sheffield my video game potion thingy oh i know what it would be it is the uh the discontinued aha brand flavored uh sparkling water thing which was apple ginger that was the best flavor, and it's all gone now. They should put more ginger in stuff, goddammit. You know whose health potion is water? Uh, Mario in Super Mario 64. Dive in, and when you come up, your health's all back. And it's not because he died? No, not Hello! Oh, hey, my name is... <laughs> I was getting to you, okay? Gosh dang it. Okay, uh, fine. I, wa- I, wanted to, I wanted to have a have a nice... Okay, go ahead. No, you go All right, ahead. joining us this week... It's insert credit friend of the show, Liz Ryerson. Hello, my name is Liz Ryerson, and if I had to drink uh, one beverage as a health potion in a video game, it would be Sencha green tea, because I drink that all the time. That's a good one. All right. Yeah, we're all choosing the thing which would least alter our lifestyle, I suppose. Uh, So the way this goes at this point is where I inform you that I keep a secret tally of how well everyone does over the course of the show, and I decide a winner based on everyone's responses at the end and uh the prize for winning is that you get to come up with a question for the next episode last week's winner was frank which also meant that last week's winner was guest of the show kelsey who was there specifically to take the win from him should he succeed Uh, so kelsey uh submitted a question to me right before the show kelsey asked frank has talked about his idea of a recipe show for the best ways to experience old games what is the recipe for the worst way to play Super Mario Brothers? 
Mm. This isn't like pairings. This is how to set up your life and your experience or whatever. Yeah. My concept for a recipe show for games is essentially like, here's how to play this game. That's approached from multiple angles in my head. Some of it's technical, right? It's like, well, if you're playing Super Mario Brothers, it's like, if you're a lawyer angel or whatever and need to play it legally, here's this way. But if you don't, if you don't care, is this way. And and I recommend turning off the sprite limitation thing on your emulator for this reason, blah, blah, blah. That's part of it. And then the other way is like how to approach a game mentally to like actually understand a game. So I would consider that sort of a recipe for playing an old game, you know, teaching people how to play properly. So what's the worst way for Super Mario Brothers is the question. I've already got a few things in my in my mind, which is like uh, stretched into 69 mm. on a like a crappy plug and play TV Famiclone with a bad controller. It's, that's that's where I would start. Just constantly point out, say, how many drugs were they smoking when they come came up with this? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Mushrooms. I've heard of those. That's what the bad kids ate. Just like hack the hackest of hack comedy attempts like while they're playing it yeah 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 Yeah, that's a good idea i think i think you're right brandon i think it is it doesn't have to be a plug and play but it should be like composite on your tv stretched yeah stretched Um, is yeah the most convenient way to play super mario although composite is maybe good well no on your modern television television. probably going to uh interpret that 240p signals 480i and start smearing stuff yeah okay good yeah well and and make sure that they like make a big deal about the fact that they're playing it on the original console and that's what it's supposed to look like yes this yes that there you go you nailed it that's not a plug and play it's a real nes a real cartridge not the one with duck hunt because you don't want to be tempted and it's played uh in 16.9 with motion smoothing on but i want I want a bad controller to be in the mix. So, um, okay. The, what, what was it called? The advantage? Yeah. Is that the one that's like that dial thing? Yeah. With the weird octagon on it. Yeah. There's the NES max too, but that was an okay controller. Was the max the joystick? N- no, I don't think. Oh wait, yeah. You're talking about the one that had like a, it, it just sort of like looped around in a little circle. That, yeah. That yeah. NES max looks like a boomerang. Yeah, that, that disc. Oh, I, yeah, I am thinking it. of the NES Max. So play it on the NES Max. Is that worse than the Power Glove? Well, now it's just getting silly, right? Like, that's not believable anymore. All right. But they could be wearing a Power Glove on their other arm. It doesn't mm. have to be believable. I mean, th- we're, we're setting up this scenario for someone. Well, then you get stupid. Then it's like, okay, dance pad. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 th- no dance pad. But they should just—they should just be talking about like the most like bog standard hack things, like observations. Like, oh, I was so nostalgic over this. Yes. Like yeah, mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. What were they thinking? Like, just every possible hack observation that you could make that everyone's made on every single like channel, and they're even saying things wrong. They're like, you know, g- giving information that sounds like it's correct, but it's actually wrong. Yeah. What if instead of having them play Super Mario Brothers, you had them play a one-to-one recreation of Super Mario Brothers in Super Mario Maker, where all the physics oh. are different and you can put in a bunch of obnoxious sound effects? I think that would be too funny. Yeah, maybe. I think you can make a case for the Power Glove because you could you could be like, just like in The Wizard, and people would be like, whoa, dude. Right. And the Power Glove was marketed specifically as a way to play games, whereas a dance pad is kind of an abstraction. Yeah. Maybe Player 2 is on the Power Glove, and, and yeah. you have to fight over who gets to... <laughs> Who's got the power. Yeah. Mario is the NES Max, and Luigi's on the Power Glove. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then also, it should be on a boat that's on fire. <laughs> sure. 
Oh, and maybe one of your controllers is the one with the slow motion feature that just pauses and unpauses really fast. I love that. Um, oh, maybe God. we recommend that for newcomers to play the game. Slow motion was like a, a game genie cheat in so many of those NES game game genie books. Even as a kid, I figured it out pretty fast. I was like, oh, man, I just got down there just pausing it. Wait, the game genie code is pausing, unpausing the game? It was, yeah. It it was like <laughs> that's bizarre. Slow motion, because you know they'd have like extra infinite lives, infinite health, yeah. or whatever, and then they'd be like slow motion. Oh, I just didn't. I didn't even know you could do that. That's neat. <laughs> you could have them spend like twenty minutes trying to do a wall jump because they think that they're going to speed run the game, and they saw it on a video one time. They're like, "Dude, I'm going to wall jump right now. This is this is more important than anything else." Like right <laughs> yeah, now. Okay, you teach people that one of the most important things to playing Super Mario Brothers is mastering the wall jump. Yeah. Yes. Make sure you can land on like the pixel next to a piranha plant. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. That's pretty good. All right. Has a spiritual sequel to a popular game ever surpassed it? Probably. Yeah. I don't know that I've actually played any of those. Like Axiom Verge is a, is a Metroid spiritual sequel in a way. And uh, mm, like, no, it's just the genre. I think Bloodstained is the spiritual sequel. Yes. I guess. Okay. I think for a game to be a spiritual sequel, the same developers have to be involved. Is Death Stranding the spiritual sequel to Metal Gear? I would say yes. Yes. What about Dark Souls and um, fuck is it Dark called? Souls? The PS- yeah, no, the PS One games. Um, uh, Kingsfield? Kingsfield. Kingsfield. Yeah, does that count? Yeah, I'd count I think that. It but I don't think the Kingsfield games count as popular. Uh, in Japan, yeah. they do. They they made like right. eight of them or something. That many, but yeah, they made a bunch of those things. At least I four. think that kind of counts. I guess Siren is a spiritual sequel to the Silent Hill. Some of the Silent Hill games, but um, it's not. I don't like it as much. <laughs> um, if we're going, you know, like point and click adventure stuff, I think Thimbleweed Park is better than Maniac Mansion and Zack McCracken. Sure. Um, just because you know, thirty years of game design <laughs> evolution for, has taught us much when it comes to that style of adventure game. Rather than just kind of listing the games, what about these spiritual sequels improve from uh, the original material? Well, I think the Thimbleweed Park that Frank just mentioned, it's like a reimagining by a lot of the same people in a more like modern particular con- outside of the context of like the, uh, you know, typical decisions made in those genres. Um, mm-hmm. So and, and it's like redesigned with a few decades of uh, perspective in mind. And a game like that doesn't really lose the tone of the original because, you know, sometimes they might lose something in translation. But that's a good example of like, we're just going to take what worked about that and like reimagine it and, you know, make essentially a version of that, but it is uh, easy to get into for somebody who isn't, you know, you as used to navigating those old, you know, tropes or whatever. Yeah, I think that's spot on for that game. Um, the easiest thing to point to is there's no way to get stuck, uh, which you could in, in Zack and Maniac. But in a lot of ways, I also think Thimbleweed is sort of a spiritual successor to Monkey Island. So maybe that doesn't count. You know, I also realized that uh, somebody, in fact, two people we were talking about last episode are a good candidate for this. Like uh, that Dark Side Toshi fella who did um, Psycho Fox and Decap Attack and Magical mm. Hat, Turbo, etc., like each one of those is a spiritual sequel to the prior one. <laughs> yeah. And each one of them is just doing the same thing a little bit better. It's like, okay, I have this weird mechanic idea and I'm just going to do better level design and make it feel better every time. Uh, I think that works pretty well. And then also that, I still don't remember what it's called. The one that's not Legendary Axe, but is on the NES. The Stian Axe? 
Yes, Dianax. Whichever one's a spiritual sequel of the other. I forget which one is, came are first. Are these the new games that we talk about every episode now? Is that the new the new trope? I hope so. <laughs> I've played through all of S Dianax or whatever. That game is I wouldn't call it great, but it's not bad. I, I assume that that's probably the prototype version of whatever the spiritual sequel was. Legendary Axe. Yeah, I imagine I imagine that was before because yeah, Astyanax is some like really grindy bits from what I recall. There's a uh, a bootleg of Astyanax that's uh, an Aladdin game and it's not a very good fit. Wow, just killed the room with that one. <laughs> I, I was trying to envision I, it. I can't imagine that it would be. <laughs> it's it's no magic of Shahrazad. <laughs> there you go. Nothing is. No. I want to play that. Let's just stop the show. <laughs> All right. Magic of Sherazad. Sherazad. <laughs> That's the name. Uh, here's our third question. It's a quest about sharing. Wait, yeah, I, I just need to, I, can't, I can't figure out which of these games came first, Dianax or Legendary Axe, because they both came out. Oh, oh man. They both came out in 89 in Japan. I guess it, yeah. They're both I guess, home games, right? So they have specific dates. So you could probably figure this out. Yeah, I think I think Dianax came out a couple months before um nice. acts, except it came out later in the u.s all right here's our third question so sonic the hedgehog celebrated mm -hmm. its 30th anniversary this week with a crowd-pleasing combination philharmonic rock concert how would you commemorate a game series landmark anniversary if you had no new games to show them oh, you mean like they did yeah exactly <laughs> um i guess i'd probably do something similar <laughs> apparently a friend of the show ash Parrish, liked it so much that it made her cry it was curious because it really should have been for me because I, I love I love Sonic. I love listening to music. But um, I found that the symphonic arrangements were just like, it just made me want to listen to the real thing. They just were like slower and weirder, you know, but not in yeah, a way Yeah, but you that, can listen to the real thing any day. That's what it made me want to do. Uh, I, it just didn't do it for me. And then you get to the second half where it's all the pop punk extreme Sonic stuff. And it's like, it's great that it's straight going for it, but it was so goofy. I don't know. I, I was happy that other people liked it. Is bit was my final conclusion. I was happy that some people cried. This would be the perfect uh, solution. Uh, do like a two-hour documentary where you just interview uh, a lot of people from the fan community and you like surprise them all with, you know, one of the creators of the game and they come in and they like give them a hug mm -hmm. and, you know, film them like sobbing is like, oh my God, I love your game or whatever. And then you can like do 20 minutes or whatever of the, the music tributes at the end and just make it a tribute to the fan community, which is what something like Sonic could do because that's like mm. what has kept that game alive. Right. It does sound like what they would do yeah i like that i think it's really easy to default into celebrating the games and their creators but when you're celebrating decades of something being beloved then i think what you're celebrating is the lovers so right. yeah i'm into that tell you what i would have done which would not really happen you'd have yasuhara say i hate you and leave. yeah i'd have him say this is why none I of you are free of sin <laughs> i made this to hurt you if I could take it all back, I would. I would interview a bunch of people from it, but I would have them show, like, Yasuhara hasn't showed most of, most of his sketches publicly. Yeah. So I would be, like, showing the early stuff. I would have Yuji Naka talk about assembly coding. I would get the Traveler's Tales guy, John Burton, to talk about all the wacky Saturn secrets and stuff. Just, like, have it be a huge, like history of development of sonic which i think would be super fascinating and then maybe well, it would also be your... like 
40 hours long though yeah. because there's a lot of game yeah, and I'm ready. it's I'm ready what are you it. gonna are you gonna pick 40 hours long no i mean i would i'd pick like sonic one and maybe sonic you're talking about 3... traveler's tale so you got like 3d blast in here i guess yeah maybe 3d blast maybe uh and sonic r obviously you would need sonic in the black knight so yeah of course yeah yeah it's important yeah. That's a big I one. want I want the people who made like the popcorn machine. Sure. The Bioware RPG. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do seriously think if it were me, I would take the opportunity to try to show if I don't have anything new to show, I would show more old stuff that people don't know about that they would like because it's a celebration of history 30 years. So I would want to showcase what that history was. I don't know if this counts as a new game, but I've always wanted to just you know, the stuff we did at Digital Eclipse, the bonus gallery stuff, I want to just ship those as products without the games. So maybe I would do that for something like a Sonic, just release like a free marketing app that's just essentially the the cool part of Sonic Jam, but updated. Yeah, that would be really good. I would be into it. They should also release a full uncut version of Topher Florence's Sonic 2 Special Edition Let's Play of course. in HD. Well, yeah, like canonize it, right? Like, yes. Give it, give it the official Sega blessing. Yeah, I like that. I don't know, because that might create a conflict of interest later when we get Nintendo to uh, license his official Funky Kong game. Yeah, well, he's playing both sides. You know, that's what yeah. you have to do. You have to be an enterprising business person to make it in this industry. And I think that's that's what Absolutely. we need to celebrate. I would have had uh, Charles Martinet narrate. <laughs> That's the host of your documentary. <laughs> yeah, hosting, hosting Sonic. It's oh, him. <laughs> All right, here's my next question. Are you ready for this next question? Yeah, but really yeah. quick, I want to say that he doesn't do the Mario voice, and he never acknowledges that he has anything to do with Mario. It's just, <laughs> I'm your host, Charles Martinet. No, of course. <laughs> Let's celebrate Sonic the Hedgehog. He did that for, like, the Bit Trip Runner ads. He's like, hi, I'm Charles Martinet, and never acknowledge that he's the Mario guy. It's pretty sure. good. Can listening to a game soundtrack before playing it be considered a spoiler? No. <laughs> Next. Next question. Okay. <laughs> no, you don't have enough context. I mean... I theoretically, yeah. I mean, but no, generally. I, I don't know. I, I listened to Earthbound soundtrack a ton before I actually played the game. I had heard of the game for a long time, but I, I never played it until after I listened to the soundtrack. And the soundtrack is actually what got me interested in playing the game. I've had that experience myself, specifically with Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger, actually. I hadn't I listened to the Chrono Trigger music before playing Chrono Trigger and the Chrono Cross music before playing Chrono Cross. And while you can get the experience of you know say you played the game and then you get the soundtrack 20 years later you're like oh i remember that time but you can also sort of get the inverse thing by i listened to that chrono cross soundtrack so much in college without playing the game because i just really liked it and then Mm -hmm. playing the game getting like much more slowly getting to each new song in the soundtrack it just kept bouncing me through various emotional terrains because that music was so important to me at a certain time that having it be revealed really slowly in the game was it was like an anti-spoiler. It was like uh, an emotional reveal over time, which yeah. is really cool. I have a yes answer to the question, which is uh, Sonic Mania. When Sonic Mania came out, we didn't know what all the levels were. And half of the levels are like throwback levels. All right. mm-hmm. If that's the kind of thing you'd consider a spoiler, like the return of uh, Hydra City Zone or something. Yeah and you listen to the soundtrack before you played, you would go, oh, that's Hydra City Zone. There's going to be Hydra City Zone in this game. That's a spoiler. I would say if you were a really big fan of Homestuck, 
there's a spoiler in the Undertale soundtrack if you listen to that before you play the game. Mm, a spoiler for Homestuck? No, a spoiler that that song, like, uh, there's, oh, a, there's a popular song from that multimedia comic which reappears in the game, and it's supposed okay. to be a big surprise. Yeah, because Toby Fox did music for Homestuck, I think. Yeah, um, exactly. I guess like song titles could be spoilers. So mm-hmm. I guess I guess that would be the biggest thing. Um, oh yeah, Amy's funeral from Sonic Mania. <laughs> yeah, a really big one. Yeah. <laughs> if you disabled the song titles, though, like you just the music itself. I don't know. I I don't think it ruins the experience. I mean, it could ruin a few things but you never know like what the context actually is going to be until you play the but thing like anyways. you know what a boss theme sounds like so if you're halfway through playing the game and you hear all the boss fights on the soundtrack and there are a few that you haven't heard yet you're like oh there's some more bosses coming aren't yeah, there? i mean i guess it's a spoiler but i don't think it's much of a spoiler because it, it's like okay i'm not great at this shooter and i've only gotten to stage five and i listen to the soundtrack and it's like oh stage eight oh <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, gonna be sound, a stage eight sounds rough I think it can be a spoiler, but I don't think it matters. I don't think it can spoil anything in a way that hurts your experience particularly. And like even with the Homestuck thing, by the way, I don't think I'll ever know what Homestuck is. That's fine. Say you are a fan of that. You would probably get excited about it. I don't think it's going to spoil you in a way that it negatively affects your experience. It might make you anticipate something more. Maybe. You're speaking from the perspective of someone who probably does not become enraged by being quote-unquote spoiled like i'm sure all of us in this room oh, actually sure. yeah um, so i'm trying to pr- approach it from the perspective of someone who actually like gets upset when minor things get spoiled well sure like you you can't name a star wars song anything because right. then someone will be like <laughs> no it's not right yeah like <laughs> emergence of uh, emergence of the empire no uh, now i, I know, know the empire emerges <laughs> they sound like a like a cranky like 80 85 year old star wars fan yeah, yeah. no how could you <laughs> they see the song title han solo is my dad and they're like oh but he's my dad <laughs> are you sure that isn't horny people on the internet who are saying that <laughs> i'm not sure who it is now, i have a friend who will never listen to a game soundtrack until he plays the entire game through uh because his reasoning is that every one of those tracks is written with a particular emotional resonance in mind with that scene and if you play it before that then you're getting the wrong intention out of the piece interesting he should uh, mm. learn about how game development works and then yeah, exactly. all that out the window. <laughs> yeah here's a bunch of tracks could this fit here like 90 percent of songs composed by tim fallen for example i don't right. think he played the games i think he right. just did whatever he wanted and there are plenty of examples of that or even in the best case like maybe they barely played it or only have a vague idea of what it what it's supposed to be they had read a silver surfer comic before yeah i think he captured the true spirit of pictionary yeah, yeah the emotional resonance of that right. pictionary uh title screen is really important exactly so this is our last episode that will come out in pride month so I think this is a good opportunity to talk about the embarrassing ways that video games have failed the queer community as an example of what never to do again. Uh-oh. Oh, God, I don't want to encourage you to talk about Nier again, but wasn't there a really <laughs> gross like trophy in this remake? Oh, uh-huh. no. No, let's not talk about that, please. Okay. I don't even know about that. Are trophies spoilers? Let's not get near that issue. <laughs> Whoa. There's there's a horrible trophy in the remake of Nier that wasn't in the original 
that you get for like trying to look up Kaine's skirt. It's it's gross. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that sucks. It really does. That's too bad. There's a lot of Japanese games out there where they had some rough times. I mean, we love Deadly Premonition on this show, but I don't know if he's even supposed to be a gay stereotype, but he's a stereotype of something. He's um, a dresser of some in some capacity. Something. Yeah. I mean, I know Swery has really he's really tried to um swing fully back the other direction from there, but um there's so much of it. I mean, even when people are trying to do good, sometimes they do ill. Yeah, but like there's a difference between people who are trying and people who are clearly not. Yeah, well, like um the character in Streets of Rage 3 who got cut from Bare Knuckle 3 who's just like Poison? No, it's it's this leather uh, poisons in Final Fight. Um, oh, it's a, okay. Because isn't poison supposed to be trans too? Poison is trans, but I don't think poison. I think poison was is like treated the best of basically oh, okay. everybody because poison is is just like it's referenced in such passing as to be like a non-issue. It's just like I see. You know, they didn't have the language to just say poison is trans and move on, but. Unlike Nintendo's cruel treatment of Birdo, which is... Yeah, she says she wants to be called Birdetta. Let's just call her Birdetta. Yeah, Poison was actually a, a, a pretty good example, I think. Poison has never been made a big deal out of, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, the Streets of Rage 3 one was just like a prancing, mincing leather daddy who has a high voice and is punching with foxy-boxy gloves and stuff. It's it's just... I don't know. It's it's really... I think that the uh, the Yakuza translation team has done an excellent job of trying to smooth over a lot of that stuff but you know like the earth angel bar has always got some you know i guess cross-dressing person or trans person who has like a huge amount of stubble who's like hey hun how's it going and it's just i feel like they're trying but they just don't understand how to try it's it's really disappointing (laughs) because i love that series i i wonder i wonder how much of that stuff is is cultural i mean not not to say that like probably so many like 90s point and click adventure games in particular that have like trans or gay panic jokes in them i i mean i, I there must checked, be but i it just they just it just seems like the perfect time and place for that uh for that to have happened all right because it's a game about like people who talk right and right. it's and it's all dudes many of them in the united kingdom so yeah there's probably some really there's definitely stuff. a lot of gay panic jokes in there leisure suit larry there was a huge amount of it in like comedy movies in general like in the 90s like early 90s because of like the crying game and stuff like that i don't know tons about it but i i felt like i couldn't take a step without hearing someone upset about an atlas game uh especially like about oh, yeah. i don't know eight or nine years ago they seem to be notoriously bad for that. I don't really know much about it. I'm not like an expert, especially when it comes to like representation in those kinds of games. But it seemed like they were always, uh, we'll say, at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, they were putting their foot in it. I didn't actually see the thing. But as I recall with Catherine, Ugh. they had a character who was trans and then the main character finds out and gets grossed out and stuff. And it's like, uh, just, just like, not great. I don't know. Keep your biases and your proclivities to yourself. I think the thing that's most insulting is it's just it's presented as a universal like 
an, a universal idea that this is how everyone would feel if they found out that someone was trans or whatever. And it's, it's so disappointing. Yeah, I mean, that was a very common thing in media. Like, you know, you ever watch the TV show Friends or, mm-hmm. or like Family Guy has a joke where like the dog dates a trans woman and then uh, he finds out and he vomits on camera right. for like two minutes straight. Right, and, right. Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, it's very common uh, or it has been very common in the past. Yeah. It's now frowned upon more. But I guess the main thing I wanted to ask is, do you think that Grand Theft Auto 6 will cut down on this or double down? Mm. I bet they will be like self-aware about it and be like, this character isn't good. And so that's why they use yeah. slurs all the time. They're they're allowed to get the Tarantino loophole. Yeah, they'll probably yeah. they'll probably do both. I feel like it's I feel like it's of of character to like do both. It's like, well, we have positive representation in some ways, but we have very negative in other ways. It's weird because like uh, Saints Row is supposed is like you know explicitly more like sordid and and goofy and like whatever, but it seems to do much better with that kind of right. stuff in general. Even yeah. though it's like the quote-unquote trashy version. Yeah, Saints Row 3, where you could have the giant purple dildo and wave it around and whatever. Right. It's better just by dint of letting you be that without making jokes about it. Yeah. Video games seem to be like, there isn't as much oversight as there is like in Hollywood or whatever. It's easier to just sort of drip out this, the result of straight white men being super obsessed with anything that's different from themselves and just needing to talk about it, needing to be like, this is what I think about gay people and how it's gross. Video games just seem to be the dumping ground for people like me, I guess. It's the unfiltered id. That guy at E3, the the Razer guy, he did like a um, presentation like on Razer's gaming products. It was the most unhinged thing I've ever seen. Apparently, he's a terrible boss, according to allegedly, according to uh, interviews or a piece that got run in Kotaku at some point. But it was the most like gaming aesthetic kind of thing ever and i found it to be wonderful theater but it was also terrifying (laughs) that really represented what it is and yeah there's this unfiltered id like the end and it it comes down to like uh you enacting a certain kind of uh fantasy or empowerment in a in a very particular unfiltered way yeah and it's kind of this like um i just thought about gay people for the first time this is my gut reaction to that now i'm gonna spend three years putting that gut reaction into a video game exactly and not second guess it even once in that entire 36 month period it's like my gut reaction is definitely right because i have i have been told my entire life that all my opinions are super valid and incredibly important and so nobody else would have thought what i think which is that this is icky to me. Yeah. The people need to know. I mean, in a way, there's a thing I like about video games in that it, it is kind of unfiltered and ugly in, in the stereotype way. Like, I obviously am really into Doom, and that is like a very unfiltered and ugly game, but it's also not really offensive unless you're right. hyper-Christian, I guess. But even Unless you yeah. hate blood. Yeah, or maybe if you're satanic you don't like them killing demons yeah (laughs) demons there's interesting territory to be mined there and even with something like Catherine, you could say that theoretically maybe if the game was being critical of its protagonist and his like obsessions right then it could do something with that but obviously it's it's not i i I don't want people to stray away from dealing with upsetting stuff but the the problem is it's it's like it's a because it's unfiltered it's like goes unexamined and there isn't a yeah it isn't like yeah, it isn't 
thought about in a in a real conscious way right and i think it's even more disappointing that way because you know it's an opportunity and a platform to actually discuss things in ways that are more interesting than a lot of straight media uh linear media i mean and when it's like here's this opportunity to do something nuanced with this and then they're just like i'm gonna have this dog throw out for two minutes is what i'm gonna do it's, it's super disappointing all right well we'll be right back after a quick break to talk about something a little lighter Nice. Hey, remember when uh, Charlie Daniels got mad at Guitar Hero 3 because they used his song for the boss fight against the devil since he didn't want it to be possible for the devil to win? No, but it's I don't know good. who Charlie Daniels is, but that sounds He fun. did, the devil like went a... down to Georgia. Oh. Right, yeah. I, I did see an interview uh, with uh, Sandy Peterson, who worked on Doom, who's a Mormon, and he says some kind of bizarre and untrue things about Doom sometimes, or games that he worked on. Oh yeah, John Romero loves to like stomp all over whatever Sandy's saying. Yeah, it's not just Sandy, but also like guy who did some of the shareware levels. Someone asked him like, "Well, do you have a problem with you know working on this game with all this like satanic imagery?" And he's like, "Well, no, because they're the bad guys." Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. We now return to insert credit. Uh, it's time for us to go to the dirt bag. Uh, the dirt bag is the section of the podcast where every week I take one question submitted to us by our generous listeners. One question. One question <laughs> uh, at uh, patreon.com slash insert credit, where subscribers at any level could get access to that question form. Regular episodes one day early. One day early? <laughs> one day early! <laughs> 24 hours prior to the rest of the world. This week's question comes from Mox Bagel, who asks, Is there a way to design around players' tendency to save items until they need them, thus never using almost any items? Oh, I had a big, long think about this one recently, and uh, I wound up removing items from the game, <laughs> is what I did. But a little bit about my thought process was I liked the idea of consumable items, but I didn't like the idea that you would hoard them until you needed them. So I was going to give you too many. Like you would just get all a whole bunch of and that didn't really work out. No, because then they just sort of become nothing. And it's, it's sort of like ammo in an FPS where it's like, um, I know I'm going to get a bunch more of this, so I'm not going to worry about it too much. So then it sort of became a non thing. And then I had this thought of like, what if rather than single-use items, you had to work hard to get items that you could use forever. Uh, and that was sort of an okay idea, but it wound up not fully jiving with the rest of what I was doing, and so then I just got rid of items entirely. But it's like if you craft the items, then it feels more likely that you might use them because you crafted it because you, you need it, because you want to use it. Since you can craft it, it doesn't feel... It's not a drop, so it doesn't feel like... It, maybe I won't see this again. So if you keep the, the materials for crafting plentiful but make crafting a thing that you can only do from a certain place or a certain screen you've resource limited it through like time or loca geographic location so then you're like yeah i'm going to use these but i'm going to go back and make some more later when i go back to this town hub and i think that works pretty well um you could make all of those items food that deteriorates yeah i was thinking about item shelf life that like mm -hmm. if you sit on it too long yeah i was thinking about that as well but i would go <laughs> even further let's say the game is set in an alternate dimension and you're like still like phasing in and out like a little bit between dimensions and so like over time 
things become like dimensionally compromised and so they they stop like existing so they deteriorate mm. so you have like a so like let's say at the beginning like when you uh you grab an item or something uh it has like a 90 it has a 100% chance of working but if you've let it deteriorate when you grab it it might only have like a 30% chance of working or mm. it could just deteriorate totally so that would tell you uh, that you'd have to use it sooner or later. There'd probably be less annoying ways to do that, but I think that idea is really funny. I like that idea, and also uh, taking it one step further and having like items changing into other stuff as you're going back and forth between dimensions. It's like, oh, my health potion is now like a, a weird animal. Like, what, what do I do with this? I would almost be into that as if as a whole mechanic. Where like you're going, you're vacillating between dimensions, and like you're say you're uh, you're running an item shop, and you're tr- you're trying to maintain <laughs> inventory, and it's like too many tribbles all of a sudden. Sometimes they turn into bees and just start attacking you. Yeah, you just get weird weird nonsense going on, and and every every new customer brings a their dimensional residue with them, and it messes with your inventory and stuff. I, sorry, this is getting into a whole different direction, but uh, no, I like it. It got my brain going. Well, I'll make it later. <laughs> okay cool In- interdimensional shopkeeper yeah I like it In- interdimensional shopkeep i'm gonna call it what are you buying they either have a shelf life or there's some mechanic in the game that um makes them go away or become undesirable if you don't use them in a timely manner so you know i think liz's example is great it'd be like if you're playing i don't know link to the past and whenever you go between light and dark world you're inventory of consumables disappears right so you're yeah. just going to start using them because you can they did that in majora's mask actually that every mm. time you time loop you lose your perishable there you go the the answer was there all along these could deteriorate over time and perhaps end up back like maybe there's a, a limited quantity and they end up back somewhere else in the or or something like that well now they're limited again so i'm not going to use them Mm, yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure if i'm convinced yeah you have to be incentivized to use them maybe at a certain point in time where there's more benefit to use them you may get access to this sort of item again at some point like it's still limited but maybe in you know a few more time loops you'll come back to that dimension and be able to get those sorts of items again or something like yeah that. i like that you could just not make games that is one way to go I've yeah that's about a it. good that's a good way as well you yeah could, you could be in the not game making dimension instead of the game making <laughs> dimension yeah like the vast majority of people will never have this problem why not join them yeah it's true that's true <laughs> i never considered that i could that's, just uh... that, that's an option for a lot of these questions really I don't have to uh, deal with any of this at all. Yeah. <laughs> you, could just, you could just work in a sandwich shop. You know, I was thinking, if retail work paid a living wage, I'd work in a record shop still. Like, are there those? There are. There's some. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I know. They're cool. Not and, tons, and though. I'm kind of vacillating between a few questions here. Like dimensions. Yeah. If you don't like this one, I'll pick a different one. Uh, that's okay. how so we, we have veto power. For yes, this you have question. veto power for okay. this question. If every big tech company followed through on their threats to enter the video game market and they all developed their own consoles, which one would be the wildest disaster? <laughs> that's kind of fun, though. Yeah. I thought if so. all the big tech companies that have announced consoles, or are we just going to no, think just of all, all of them? The just all of them. So, like, Amazon's okay. got one, Facebook's got one. Okay. And which one's the biggest disaster, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one because, you know, Amazon, all of them are going to be monitoring you all the time. So, I, <laughs> like, I don't know who's going to do it the worst. Maybe Amazon. Amazon's going to report you to the cops. I think if, like, 
all these guys and I don't know what, like Verizon or something. Like if if everyone in the the huge tech sector made a game console and and like a game service to play the games on the game console, this is going to sound like a joke. I think Google does the worst. Yeah, I actually think that's you know the way that they've launched the Stadia is worse than any other tech company would have done. Why do you think that happened? Size of the company, just too many departments that don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah, just there's definitely that. Stuff. It seems Google has like a culture of just starting a billion things and then not really committing to them or supporting them adequately. Right, that, I mean, this thing's already dead internally. I'm sure they're not going to say that, but like I'm sure that they've already splintered off a lot of the developers and like absorb them into other teams and stuff like I'm sure they've given up on this like they give up on everything I'm not 100% sure that Amazon wouldn't do a worse job because they did for example buy a branch of the CryEngine and do Lumberyard and then try to make that a thing and just nobody's using it except for Amazon's internal teams like nobody nobody wants to use it and uh, that's like a, a really quiet failure in a way I guess when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking in terms of them developing a platform that others deploy games on, not them making games. And maybe that's the wrong way of thinking because Amazon Games Division, uh, probably one of the worst disasters in terms of game development that's ever been. I, I think the I think the problem is like uh, if if you're looking at something that they would adequately like want to invest in, I, there's something kind of boring or sordid or like not socially good enough about games in themselves. So they would have to make it be something like greater if they wanted to be like a consistent investment. So like I'd imagine them having like a bunch of like wellness. It's like it's like wellness apps like disguised as a game or like, you know, just pivoting into making virtual reality apps for military contractors or yeah. or things like or surveillance technology or things like that. Like all of all of that stuff kind of if if it if it has consistent support and money behind it and it it doesn't end up being like a kind of a disaster or it's something that has consistent investment, I just imagine it going into one of those things like surveillance technology, military technology, some kind of weird wellness app thing at at best. So I don't know. Totally, some way to uh, kill people outside of this country and or commit multi level marketing schemes. Like if we think about who would do the grossest. Uh, console in an old school traditional sense of of gross, like just a really broy thing. I think Tesla would be good for that. I think Tesla would make like a something shaped like a spaceship. Every app on there is somehow edge lordy or something. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. Or but, it's like but, play this game to make out with your lady. Right. It's right. called like Le Console, and it's got like Pepe on it. <laughs> the the Grimes branded uh one billion dollar vanity project that's just right. called like a bad version of Call of Duty, except like you know, it has her doing sound effects. I I, I don't know. I, I imagine like like an RC car that transforms into a console that uh, an RC <laughs> car that looks like a Tesla that like you have to charge in a charging station and that yeah, you can you can like transformer it up into a into a console. Yeah, and you can you can slot the car into your existing actual Tesla car. It's got like a little home in there where you can put it in for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about like military hardware contractors, like 
just yeah, put Blackwater and stuff. a bunch of Call of Duty games. Basically already happening. Yeah. yeah, they're already kind of connected with each other. I mean, they, they, there's no way that... They, I, I guess it would be funny, like, if you imagine people who are, like, military, who are pure military, who don't have, like, game development experience, and that they, <laughs> like, didn't even try to hire game developers to make something, and it's just, like, the most bizarre approximation of what they think a fun game would be. That would be pretty funny. It's all just, like, drone simulator. Well, everyone's trying to make Ender's Game in real life, and yeah. uh, it's it's happening. It's the last Starfighter, baby. We who loves it? Nobody. I would like to continue a conversation we started before the show and talk about uh, then contemporary console games, which were never officially sanctioned by the console makers. Were any of them good, or were they all shovelware? We're talking about like what we would call unlicensed games on a system, right? Yeah. Is that, okay. I remember playing Micro Machines for NES. I had the gold cartridge. I remember liking that game. Yeah. You know, Codemasters, they were Codemasters. They were they were all right. Um, that was probably their best game on the system. Tangan was literally Atari. They just didn't, you know, want to work with Nintendo on license. So, you know, those games are all at least competent, the Tangan stuff. Um, they had a Gauntlet port, I think. I remember yeah. playing that one. Yeah, yeah. Gauntlet was fine. Gauntlet 2 is a little better, even. They have a like a pretty good pac mania if that's your kind of game so i mean that's like base level stuff but that said i'm i'm really interested in sort of the weird international stuff that that was made on the nes uh that that can be really interesting so one of my favorite games on the system is out of korea it is called magic kid gugu um and it's something that <laughs> tell us about this it's something that you know if if you're just looking at it you're like you know lol cheap weird game but it's like no these i mean brand were you at the gdc thing when we played this i was okay yeah so it's it's a it's a two-player it can be a two-player game um that's essentially mario 2 at its core in that you pick up things to throw them at enemies except that you do have a timer when you pick things up so like you pick it up and no matter what if five seconds pass they just throw it no matter where you are on the screen um so that makes for some really interesting you know, puzzle mechanics in terms of like, what, you know, how do I accomplish the goal I need knowing that he's just going to throw this thing no matter where I am in five seconds. Sounds like a good way to deal with item hoarding. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and, and also this is a game with like item hoarding to like go into the pause menu and power yourself up in all kinds of weird and interesting ways. And, um, we had a screaming good time at GDC playing this game that was only ever made and sold in Korea for the Nintendo. So Hmm. nothing about being a nintendo licensee makes you better at video games right this only like partially counts but uh i remember when i i had like a online semi friend from you know community like you know years ago i talked to on msn who was from argentina and he said like one of his favorite games was super mario brothers 4 which was you know like a, a game you know it was like a hacked game you know, released only in that region in South America. And it's a, the original game is called Armadillo. I was about was, to ask if it was Armadillo. Yep. Yeah. And and like that game is actually really interesting. I, the original, maybe more so than it hacked because Mario rolls game. into a ball. And that's, <laughs> yeah, it's the same game, I guess. But I, I don't know. There are a lot of like very particular experiences where people are like, wow, that was a really important part of my childhood or whatever. And it's completely like completely hacked other game yeah i was i was talking to uh some folks in poland at one point and everybody was reminiscing about this game i was like what game is this and i'm like oh yeah we all had it on the pegasus and i couldn't figure out what game it was and then i was at like a video game bar 
that they had in in Warsaw, and then someone was like, "Ah, oh, they they they've got it. Here it is." And it was just, um, Contra. <laughs> it's just, it's just had a, it had a different name. Everyone knew it by this other name that wasn't Contra. That's very good. What was it like a Polish name? No, it was it was you know it was like Super Fighter Extreme or something weird. Like okay, that. okay. Um, yeah, because I know it's called like Probotector or something in in certain parts of yeah, Europe. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Contra, not a fairly controversial name during mm-hmm. uh, during that period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just trying to think of games outside of the NES because that's mostly my thing. Brandon, there's got to be some oh, I got interesting stuff on the Genesis, right? Yeah. So on Genesis, there's all kinds of games from Taiwan. There are some, interestingly, the only two games that use Final Fantasy style action time, active time battle, whatever that's called. ATB. ATB meters are both games from Taiwan. Um, and that's pretty interesting. It's really interesting to me to look at these games because some of them are clearly just like cash-ins. There, there's a game called General Yang Family or something like that. That it's really like Capcom's Knights of the Round, but more boring and on the Genesis. Uh, and and those are just you know they're fine. They're they're whatever. If you want to play a beat 'em up for a long time and kind of fall asleep, it's good for that. But a lot of the RPGs are really like very they're just made from the ground up and they're totally different games Mm. that you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else they're not hacks of anything they're not um trying to be something else it's just like we made this entire rpg on the genesis and here it is there's a company in china i don't know how to pronounce it it's w-a-i-x-i-n-g um and they've done something like 60 rpgs just original rpgs on the famicom in chinese yeah yeah really interesting uh on the turbo graphics and TurboGrafx CD, there was Games Express, which did they did Strip Fighter 2, which was like a porn fighting game. But when you stack up the actual fighting game against other fighting games on the platform, it's not worse than them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a great like it's not as good as this uh, amazing Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition port. But like it's it's good. It's weird. All right. Good talk. Can realistic human jumping be fun in a video game? <laughs> if Bennett Foddy did it, probably. Yeah, I like that answer. If you made it into like a clumsy and and funny thing, like as a subversion of expectations or something, it makes me think of the mechanic at the beginning of Another World, where you got to stomp on the bugs, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like a realistic stomp, and you really have to wait till they're close, and it's awkward. So it's, it'd probably be something like that, where it's just a lot of really precise jump. Like what I'm imagining is Cannabalt. But like your timing is crazy precise on the jumping because you just don't jump very high or far. Well, there could be a there could be a sim element where you have to like manage if you break your ankle or like injure oh, yourself boy. or if you have like you have to manage all, all aspects of your injury. Yeah, this this was what I was going to kind of talk about, which is I make fun of, you know, uh, Nathan Drake's unlimited stamina in Uncharted. He's like the best climber in the universe. He can climb it. He never gets tired. But if if there were a game where, you know, jumping and running was a central pillar of the game and you got tired and you had to, like, go to sleep for eight hours because we're really going realistic, I'd, I would not enjoy the jump getting shorter and shorter over time until you decide to stop playing. It's that sounds tiresome to engage with even to me. I'll, but I could see I could also see it being interesting. 
Unless it's a funny game where the point is to like injure yourself or, yeah, yeah. Right. or like what ways can you torture yourself in the game? I mean, you could make a engaging and entertaining game out of that, I suppose. Uh, there was a mod a few years ago called Normal Mario Brothers, where uh, it was a recreation of Super Mario Brothers, but you could only jump like the height that a human can jump. And it was about like avoiding all enemies. It just made like every Goomba like a boss encounter. It's pretty cool. But Mario didn't get tired, I assume. No. I guess there's also sports games, like jumping in a basketball game or in even like Tony Hawk. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the 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 answer for what exists now is yeah. sports games are are somewhat realistic. And also the the stats, the, the things that the jumps that people are able to make in the basketball games. Maybe not in NBA Jam, but no. maybe, maybe in NBA some other, other games. Yeah. Yeah. In that 2K, for example. They're jumping according to their actual height stats and what, what they can really do in real yeah. life. I wonder if in these games they do let people jump just a little bit more than they could just to make it a video game. Yeah, I would. That would be interesting to explore. That, that That's like a good GDC talk. Yeah. Go to. I, I wouldn't go to. I would look at it and go, ooh, I should go to that. That sounds fun. And then I would, wouldn't go to it. Right. Yeah. That's what you do with GDC talks. Is you, <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh. All right. I'd like to enrich myself and learn, and then you just get tired. Yeah. That's exactly why they haven't done it, because yeah. I bet somebody submitted it, and they're like, and somebody who was approving it was like, oh, I go to that, and then forgot yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> you ask someone else, hey, did you go to that talk? And they're like, nah. It's it's always fun at GDC when you get someone who's like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they're like, hey, so what, what good talks did you see? And you're like, oh, man, I haven't seen anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just here trying to stay <laughs> good alive. Good talks? What is that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, that's almost an oxymoron. I've carved out time for exactly this one. What do you want, kid? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There's this one that's a postmortem of, of a game from 20 years ago that I enjoy. Yeah, I, that I, I'm going to enrich myself and, and better my craft by going to this one. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> Familiar things only, please. I just had to readjust all the jumps in Gunsport, and uh, that was interesting. They're not human-oriented jumps because uh, Gunsport characters are cybernetically augmented. But, uh, I, well, it was an interesting experience just because... So people didn't really like the jumps in Gunsport originally. And I understand where they're coming from because I didn't prioritize good feeling jump. I prioritized ability to aim and fire at a ball while jumping and falling over good feeling jump. Because my thinking was people who got good at this game would want to have such control over where, where and how they do things. Like in, in this game, you're trying to shoot a ball into a goal uh, that they would really want to have a lot of fine control in the air. So you also have the ability to like the the longer you hold the button, the higher you jump. And I think all of those things contributed to making the jump just feel bad. And what I should have realized is that, you know, it's not like my game was going to be the next big esport and people were going to figure all that stuff out. Really, what I needed to do was make the jumps feel good. And then they would figure out how to do fancy trick shots and stuff and get good at it that way. Uh, Brandon, maybe you should have just made a volleyball game. Yeah, you know, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> extreme gun volleyball yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what if you could shoot each other that's what everybody said when they played that game that's your that's your tagline yeah, we thought of it <laughs> <laughs> who's the christopher columbus of video games uh, uh, you, you don't mean the uh the the guy who sailed to america by accident or do you uh i yes i mean the cristobal cologne that guy 
You, you okay. mean you mean the person who takes credit for th- work done and pioneered by other people? Like how many how many people do we have that fit into that category? Yeah, exactly. uh, a lot. I, th- I think Nolan Bushnell probably deserves a lot of credit, but he's the one that comes to mind for me, um, mostly because I've seen him do a public talk twice, and both times he talked about how he personally hired Steve Jobs and like mentored him and like all these memories he has of Steve Jobs. And as far as we know, they barely interacted. So I'm guessing it's uh, he, he's one of them. The reason for my confusion was because of the uh, relatively famed director of sure. Home Alone and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, etc. That's Chris Columbus. He yes, does Chris go by Chris, but um, I think he was born. But his Christopher. mom might call him Christopher. Yeah. Like when she's mad, like Christopher. <laughs> Christopher Columbus. He's going to direct the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, which is he's an angry New York Jewish mom. <laughs> Christopher Columbus. So I guess that makes Scott Cawthon the Chris Columbus of video games. That's right. Um, who, who runs? Who runs EA? Who's the EA guy oh that boy. everyone hates? Are there multiple EA guys that everyone hates? Some Trump cabinet guy, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know who runs EA today. I have no idea. Uh, Andrew Wilson. According to Google, who's the one who like took a bunch of ideas from Bethesda uh, and then like for, and then made the Madden games out of it? I can't remember that whole story. I like EA supposedly took the code that Bethesda had made for some football game and then like fired them or the project didn't work out and then just used that as the basis for the entire Madden series um, without compensating, allegedly without compensating um, Bethesda, who originally, and not that. They, Bethesda's hurting for money. Isn't Bobby Kotick getting like a $150 million bonus or something like that? Right uh, yeah. $154, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly... Yeah, but he's not He's not claiming credit other than, I guess, the money part, right? Like, I did, I did this. Sure. He's gaining credit. Like, <laughs> why does he deserve $154 million for anything? I mean, probably the closest person to Nolan Bushnell is like probably like Bill Gates, honestly. Yeah, but does he claim credit for the Xbox? Like, I feel like he's always been. Well, it's you know. it's more like PC gaming and and gaming as a platform on the PC and that being a thing that they supported and then didn't. I I don't know. Yeah, I guess I I, I think that Nolan Bushnell is the best answer. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, this this is too obscure, so it it kind of invalidates itself that way. But uh. Tim, what's his name? The Edge guy. Oh, yeah, Tim. What is his was name? Was it Linquist? Mm. Or is that someone else? Who's the Edge guy? Well, whoever the Edge guy was. No, it's not Linquist. Sorry. That's, that's some other Tim that I've, I've maybe... Have... No, that's the Amerigo Vespucci of video games. I know who the, the Christopher Columbus of video game music is. Oh, yeah? Uh, that's our, our friend Tommy Tallarico. Detail! <laughs> Wait, does he does he lift other people's compositions? Tim Langdale. Uh, Tim Langdale, thank you. So I, I was close with the with the L and D. You were. Yeah. You were. Okay. It's it's more like the video games live stuff, but anyway. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, I mean there's there's that guy who claimed to be deaf, uh, who I've talked about on the show before, claimed to be deaf and also claimed to write the Resident Evil soundtrack, and neither of those things were true. Oh, he, Mamoru Sa- Samaguchi or something like that? Mamoru Sakuraguchi, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, that guy's pretty good, but he, did, he didn't like no genocides happened as the result right. of his mistake, and uh, so I don't think we have that here in video games at all. Yeah, I mean, Nolan Bushnell did cr- treat his employees very badly, so yeah, I guess that's the closest thing. 
Yeah, I, I just I don't think video games quite have the power to uh, create a genocide of an entire people just yet. Um, um, maybe, maybe if we hold out hope. Yeah, we well, they, could, so they, they could certainly play a role. Yeah, yeah, we can draw some lines from Gamergate. Maybe when we get those uh, um, video game controlled drones finally fine tuned, then whoever did that can be yeah. the Christopher Columbus. Once we get that Grumman box up and running. Here is my lightning round this week. Uh, we're playing a game I call Glitch Fork Reviews. I'm going to name a video game soundtrack, and you're going to give me a short review of that soundtrack. What is the glitch part? As though we are Pitchfork or just uh, Yeah, it, it's like a play on Pitchfork. Because it's, it's like oh. games and yeah. glitch. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just sure. like, do we need to be yeah. hipstery about it? Or should uh, I? Yes, you, yes, yes, you do. You absolutely yes. do need to be hipstery Do we need to give it like a like an 8.1 or a whatever, like Pitchfork? Like, you yes. Know. Okay. okay. You got it. You're on the ball here, Liz. <laughs> All right. Uh, your first soundtrack is Bastion. I don't remember what it sounds like. I guess that's my review. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, no, it's uh, too much sad piano and violin. Um, I, I don't actually remember exactly what it sounds like. I just remember the that The talking there's... was really innovative, but the soundtrack was uh, left me wanting a 6.3. Yeah, I would say I would say a 6 I'd say 6.1. Mm, 6.2 actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Journey. Uh uh, it won. Uh, it got nominated for an Oscar or Andor won an Oscar and oh, two, uh, two. Uh, so it absolutely, uh, it absolutely gets a two out of ten. It also misses the real underground sound of the Vincent Diamante tracks they used in their early days. Mm-hmm. So um, and uh, no songs by the band Journey. So that's an extra strike against right. miss missed opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Animal Crossing: New Horizons. I don't actually know that soundtrack. Uh, it's it's really it's really boring. <laughs> it's really boring. Okay, we'll say boilerplate Nintendo, some cutesy sounds, not their best work, really reminiscent of past uh faded glory. Nine out of it's ten. like drinking a LaCroix <laughs> and and imagining what it what the flavor of raspberry could taste like without actually tasting it. And that I felt personally insulted because of that, so we'll say four point nine. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Uh, Shovel Knight. Uh, It's by Vert, so 0.0. Nice. Wow. (laughs) Over-reliance on uh, nostalgia, I feel, as well. Yeah. Persona 4. Persona 4. There's uh, edgy music, I'm sure. Good mix of styles. I don't actually know what it sounds like. Like, I remember what 4 sounds like. I thought we would do 5 because it's it's like everyone discovering jazz for the first time. (laughs) Um, can we change it to five? Uh, if you want, Brandon, I'll allow it, but I will subtract a point from your total. I've never listened to jazz, so this is great. 8.3, <laughs> best new music. Yeah, best new genre. Mega Man 2. Good soundtrack, not the best Mega Man soundtrack. 8.4. Okay. 8.7, we'll say 8.7. Nice. Letting Liz go on that one. <laughs> uh, Celeste. It's fine. <laughs> but you have to expand its fine into like 10 paragraphs uh i can feel the journeys of of assembly uh, um the of climbing and ascending the mountain i can feel the depressions but also nostalgic but also too reliant on nostalgia but also not offensively nostalgic uh so we'll say 7.5 banjo tui a lot of uh 
innovative use of ag- aggressive soundscapes. Uh, sampling is um, is really really innovative here, and it's it's unclear who it's for and what age group it's targeting, and so I find that incredibly engaging. And it's a it's a nine point eight. <laughs> wow, this nice. is the this is the new fiery furnaces, um, the banjo Tui soundtrack. So look yeah. that up. Uh, your last soundtrack is Street Fighter Two. Uh, well, you know, it's it's common for everyone to to like this, and you know, but I I personally don't think it's uh, what's her name's uh, best work. Uh, I think that you know the the SNES especially sounds sound really muffled, and you know, I just I just really think I'm I'm really I really don't think other people. I think their nostalgia is is taking over, and I, I'm just going to say 3.2. Thanks. I had to have the hipster contrarian take yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah, of course. You you absolutely nailed this terrible exercise, and I'm going to have to give you the win for this whole episode for it. Uh, congratulations, Liz. Uh, your prize <laughs> is homework. Uh, okay. I hope no one who actually is involved with any of those things listens and takes my critique seriously yeah, don't take offense to these these are we're not uh... making fun of you we're making fun of pitchfork that's right and if you're someone from pitchfork who listens to this i'm sorry all our conceptions of you come from the year 2010 oh i was making fun of banjo too though yeah <laughs> grant kirkhope if you're listening to this do better I like the Banjo Kazooie soundtrack, but I don't know about Banjo Tooie. Banjo Tooie is a retread. Right. 5.0. <laughs> uh, this is the point where we recommend stuff to people and uh, possibly plug what we're working on if we feel inclined to do that as well. That's right. I didn't do anything this time around. That's <laughs> yeah, the problem. Same. I, usually I have stuff. Oh, wait, no, I do have one, which is the Ace Combat 3 soundtrack, which I think you should listen to mm, all the way through. Yeah. Because it's got so much weird stuff in it. And it's like you're listening to it and it's like, okay, this is some generic electronic music. And then later it's like, what is this, a horror game? Is this a game where I'm supposed to feel sad about my dead mom? Like, what, what is, what kind of a game is this? And uh, it rules just all the way through as you're listening. It feels like there are a bunch of emotional beats that were, that they were trying to hit. But you're just a plane flying around shooting stuff. <laughs> like, what? Why did they make that soundtrack for this? So that's that's my recommendation. Listen to that. Uh, where 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 am I listening to that? Oh, just on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> also, listen to um, Liz's uh, music mixes. Where where can we do that? Because I've I've I always enjoy oh them, yeah but... um I have them uploaded on YouTube. I think they're called uh they're called different things. Um, they're called like uh you got a few series. I, I used to run a Tumblr called Sounds from the Abyss, and that's what it extended out of. I think the first one is called The Digital Abyss. The second one is called uh, The Digital Void. The third one is called The... Uh, I don't know. They held different names. I'll, I'll give you a little link to like the playlist that has all four of them on them. Yeah, please drop the links in our chat, and I'm sure Esper will include them in the show notes. Yes, and uh, you can download MP3s for, I think, the first three of them. I never put the fourth download up there but maybe i should but anyway uh yeah those, those are for strange game music i don't even know what strange the the definition of strange has expanded i it's basically just like moods slash vibes that i think are interesting uh at, at this more point. than strange it's like singular like some something that doesn't sound like other stuff and so listening to those it's a good experience and the reason we were talking about ace combat 3 was like 
you should listen to this soundtrack if you haven't. And she was like, oh, yeah, I put some of those tracks into some of my mixes, which reminded me that those mixes are good. So there you go. I'm going to recommend Sleep and Water. Those are both real good things to uh, to give yourself. I do a lot of sleeping. I do like nine hours a night. I'm drinking water all day. I don't know that necessarily I'm like, wow, before all this, I was this and now I'm this because I, I don't know. I've just always kind of had that habit of drinking water. That's good. Yeah, that too. I don't know. I'm seeing people tweeting about how like, man, once you hit 27, it's like you get hurt. You're just like aching all the time. It's like, what is wrong with you people? And all I can figure is that no one's drinking water or sleeping. Well, sleeping isn't necessarily that easy to do depending on a variety of factors. True, true, true. Yeah, I know you have some issues with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those people who my body started aching immediately when I turned 27. So (laughs) nice. That was due to lack of exercise. Okay, do some of that too then. Yeah, exercise, good. Do stretching, stretch. Remember yeah. to stretch. Um, I, I, would like to, um, I would like to recommend, I don't think I mentioned this before, but my actual favorite uh, YouTuber who talks about video games, and I know this is a cursed category, is this guy, um, it's called Ross's Game Dungeon, and he mostly talks about like uh, old PC games, uh, pretty obscure stuff. There's, he has a few moments that I don't like, you know, that are like a little iffy, but I would skip his Sonic uh, Heroes episode because that's kind of out of character. But like he has played a lot of bizarre and interesting PC games. And I think he comes from the context of like uh, somebody who's like a like machinima, like Let's Player. Like he had these videos called Freeman's Mind, like that were on YouTube ages ago where he was like narrating Gordon Freeman's thoughts from half-life Th- those are okay but i like his ross game dungeon videos a lot they're really good so i recommend those um and i also recommend uh what was i gonna say oh i did a podcast episode me and this uh this guy alex ross who's like a academic game academic we will watch through and talked about some uh, documentaries about indie games for my podcast the blood zone and we're about to record the second one uh where we talk about those so the podcast isn't just about that but um if you want to relitigate uh the past uh through us watching these documentaries some of which are kind of obscure yeah check out the blood zone podcast which is my kind of sporadically updated podcast sounds great terrific uh supplementary listening to this particular show i must say i would also like to make some of my own recommendations uh first and foremost I would like to recommend that if you're listening to the show on any platform where you can subscribe to a review podcast, that you go ahead and do that thing for us. I do read those reviews and it makes me happy to see them. And maybe one day I'll share one or two with you. I didn't think to do it today, but maybe next time. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash insert credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own questions. Get our regular episodes one day early. One day early. One day early. One day early and even access to monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. You can also join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Frank is at Frank Cifaldi. Brandon is at Necrosofty. And Liz is at Ella Guro. This show is produced by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Cifaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. And I'm Liz Ryerson. And your game has now been saved.
Wow. Wahoo! Wahoo yippee. Great. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna stop recording now. It's uh, great. Yeah, we get we got enough, but we got enough material at the beginning. We can stop. We could get more material if we want to. <laughs> 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 That's right.